Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Amen. Well, full disclosure, trying to write this message, even though it's only half the length of one of the ones Dave usually preaches, was like trying to get blood from a stone. I thought I was going to die before this message was done. I was like sweating. I felt like I knew a tiny bit of what Jesus was going through when he was sweating blood. I think I might have a few bald patches from where I pulled hair out because I kept trying to write this message over and over and like the 95% of the message actually came the first time I read through the scriptures I'm going to preach from. I was like, oh, cool. There's a message. Done. And then I was arrogant about it. And God was like, mm-hmm, you are not done, kiddo. Uh, you are not listening. Because uh, how much did we pray, right? Lean not on your own understanding. I was like, oh, here's my understanding. I'll just say that. And God was like, no, you will not. This is where we're going to go. And he... and. I wrestled with it, man. I so wrestled with this because God kept trying to show me where he wanted to take it. And I was like, no, this is, no, I've got, it's this, it's going to finish like this. And God was like, no, this way. And he was like dragging me with my hair. And I'm like, no, I don't want to go that way. So I want to give you full disclosure that this message doesn't end the way I expected it to. This message doesn't end with a simple, straightforward seven-step program to be free from sin. Because I came into this message And this was such a God thing because Josh Josh suggested this and I was just like, oof, that is so where I'm at right now. I came to this, this talk about freedom from sin struggling so deeply in my own heart with how to feel about my own sinfulness, with how to feel about where I'm at in my life and what I'm going through and what I do. And I came to God and I was like, awesome. Okay, well, I'll actually give you some time for once and you can teach me how to stop sinning. That's not, that's not how it worked out, but I came to it expecting God to show me, right, here's how you're going to stop sinning and, and just be perfect. But God actually had a different message to show me. God knew more of my own heart than I realized. And God took me on this journey, and then I thought I was almost there, and I thought I had all the points ready, and then the ending went off. And I was like, really? Are you sure? And God was like, yes, this is where I need you to go. So I was reading through Romans 6 to 8, and A lot of what Paul is teaching here is around our relationship to sin in our lives and our relationship to God in relation to sin. So there's a a lot, a lot in here. I encourage you to actually dive into Romans and have a read, particularly of Romans 6 through 8, because I've read this like 57 million times in preparation for this sermon, and I still don't have all of it. There is so much in there. It's so deep and complicated and awesome. But we start in Romans 6, 1 to 4. We set a foundation on our relationship with sin as Christians. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And man, I could just read that and get off. 
Like that's like Paul's got enough in those four verses to just like chew on for so long. But it sets a foundation and understanding. And this is if you've grown up as a Christian, this is an understanding we get kind of by osmosis because we learn in Sunday school, here are like all the bad things that the people did in the Bible. Ooh, aren't they naughty? Like we learn like the list of like, here's all the laws in the Old Testament. Those are the wrong things. And we get kind of by osmosis this picture that yes, as Christians, there are some things we shouldn't do. We shouldn't sin. But we don't get a clear picture of how that works. Or I certainly didn't. Of how that works in relationship to Jesus saving us from our sin himself. So how do we like, okay, so I'm not supposed to sin, but that's, that's not going to save me. I'm already saved and it's okay that I sin because Jesus died for me and I'm going to sin anyway, but I'm not supposed to sin. And, and like for where I was caught coming to prepare for this sermon was like a dog chasing its tail in that kind of like spin of like, okay, I know that I'm saved from sin, but I shouldn't sin, but I cannot sin, but I keep on sinning. But oh my goodness, where am I? And God was saying, okay, let's just, let's start. Let's, let's set a foundation. You are dead to sin. So shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Paul's tackling a heresy that came up then that has come up again now now and then since Jesus died. If Jesus saved us from our sin, if when we sin, grace comes, and if grace is a good thing, then shouldn't we just sin a bunch more? Hopefully you're like, no, because the answer is no. (laughs) Because Paul says, shall we sin that grace may abound by no means? We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? So Paul is establishing right there, "Mm -mm, that's not how it works. We are dead to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So I took that truth. I took that understanding. I'm like, right, okay, I get it. You definitely want us to walk free from sin. You definitely say, don't just keep sinning just because Jesus paid the price. No, no. So I'm like, right, so, so we're dead to sin. So how do I stop sinning? Teach me, God. Just give me, give me the steps. How do I, I know I'm dead to sin. How do I stop sinning? Do I follow the law? Do I follow the Old Testament? Because if you read the Old Testament, there is some very extensive guidelines on how not to sin. Like you can, you can learn how to correctly prepare your stew so that you are not sinful. Like if you want, if you want guidelines, the Old Testament will teach you guidelines, let me tell you. And so I, 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 my, my brain immediately went, well, well, okay, well, the Old Testament is what teaches us what sin is. The law shows us what sin is. In fact, Paul himself, later in Romans 7, says... The law came that sin may be made fully sinful. The law is what teaches us what sin is. But the law is not the answer for us as Christians. The law is not for us any longer. Paul himself teaches this. He goes on. And at the start of Romans 7, we have Romans 7, 1 to 4. Come with me. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as she is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. And so we see we are established, and Paul just kind of nixes it right there, but it took me the whole rest of this sermon to figure out what he was trying to say. That we are dead to sin, that we are dead to these laws, these regulations, these guidelines to try and fix our behavior, to try and regulate what we should do. 
But I, I, wasn't, I didn't quite understand the full depth of that. So I finished this bit going, okay, so I know we can't just follow the law in the Old Testament. So what's the trick? What's the, what's the like, Christian sidestep to try and like, get around sin by using you, Jesus, by something different from the law? Like, lay it out. And Jesus was like, no, no, come on, come with me. This is not where Paul's at. And this particular section of Romans I'm about to read is one of my favorite parts of the Bible because it is so comforting. Because Paul himself, the writer of more than half of the New Testament, as far as I know, Paul himself writes this section. Paul himself cries this out. And if Paul can say this, then uh, I'm probably okay. I'm probably all right. So what Paul says is this, 7, 18 to 25. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that, that I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer me who does it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, in my spirit, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thank goodness he doesn't end there. Straight on, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Man, that has been my heart cry so many times. And so much coming into this message, this was my heart cry. There are things, good things that I want to do. There are services I want to do to God. I love you, God. I want to get it right. I want to serve you. But I keep not doing them. I keep sleeping in. Or I keep getting distracted and, and reading a book for too long or watching that 13th episode of the TV show on Netflix. I keep not doing those good things I want to do. And there is evil that I know is evil. And I hate the fruit. It bears fruit in my life. I hate this sin. But I keep on doing it. I keep on going back to it. I just feel like I'm stuck. And that was my heart cry. Praise God, the man who achieved so much of the theology that you and I carry now, the man who laid so much of the foundation for what we can understand about God, who wrote so many books which we consider the literal inspired word of God, that man, Paul, prayed that same prayer, said to God, I am in this fight. I am stuck between my spirit and my flesh. There is a law in me that hates you and that wants to do evil. And there is a law in me that loves you and wants to serve you. And I am in that struggle. Now, every other time I've read this, I didn't quite get the way it ends. I didn't quite catch it because I was like, okay, okay. I was too busy feeling comforted. I was too busy feeling like, okay, it's cool. It's okay that I was sinning. Cool, I'll go sin some more. That's not, it's not the correct answer. But I was too busy feeling, feeling comforted to catch the simplicity and also complexity of what Paul is trying to say here because when I came to write this sermon, I got to the end of this section and I was like, right, now what? Where's the next bit? Where's the, where's the bit where I go, okay, so, and I had the answer. I was like, okay, I'm just going to find the Bible verses to, to back it up. Big no-no when you're writing a sermon. I thought it was going to say, right, so just spend lots of time with God. Just read your Bible more often. Just pray every morning. 
just like pray that little bit more than you did last week. Just get closer to God and then he will make you not sin. He will change you so that you stop sinning. Now, don't get me wrong. Do not get me wrong. All of those things are in some ways true and will bear fruit in our lives. The closer we draw to God, the more he will bear fruit in our lives. And Josh is going to go into way more detail on that. But God needed me to stop here. And this is where he had to grab me by the hair. Because I kept trying to finish this sermon and he was like, nope, come back. And I was like, no, but I'm going to go. He's like, nope, come back. Okay, but then we need to pray more. Nope, come back. Because this is what it says. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. And the very next verse in the book of Romans, and remember when we split the Bible into chapters, that's something that we as English translators have done. The original books are just one long letter. And so the very next thing Paul says is my favorite verse in the whole Bible, my favorite two verses, Romans 8, 1 to 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And God wouldn't let me get past that verse. I kept trying to take the rest of Romans 8 because Paul goes into some awesome detail on setting our minds on the Spirit, on taking up Jesus' sacrifice, on putting our bodies to death. And, and these are all huge, important things, and they will help us in our battle with sin. But God would not let me pass this point because I didn't get it yet. Because I approached this whole message in condemnation. I approached my preparation going, God, I did all these terrible, awful things and I hate them and I feel sick about it. And I want to not do them anymore. And I want to fix it. I want to make it better by not doing them anymore. And I also, little, little awful part of me wanted to make my past self feel worse by showing, see, here's how you could have not done it. If you just followed these five steps, you would have not sinned. And God was like, mm -mm, no, you will not find the answer to your freedom from sin in your own behavior. We are free from sin through Jesus. And that is it, full stop. And I, I, I had so much more I wanted to say. I had so much more detail I wanted to go into because I wanted to encourage my own spirit. I wanted to learn. I wanted God to show me here is how you do it. Here is how you be better. Here is how you be a better person than you were before. But that in my own heart was born not out of a desire to love God, but out of a desire to like the man in the mirror more. It was born out of a desire to feel righteous because of what I did. And so look, don't, don't get me wrong, walking out of sin, specific sins in our lives is an incredibly integral part of being a Christian. Growing closer to God and being free from sin in practical, actual ways is an incredibly important part of being a Christian. But you cannot get there in God until you stop and accept your freedom as final in Jesus. I could not get there until I sat still for long enough for God to say, you are free in Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Now that struggle in Romans 7 is not over. This is, this is Paul and he's writing this in the present tense. Some people argue over this, but it's clear to me. I think if you, if you think Paul's writing this, that bit where he's crying out about his desire to do good and evil, I think if, if people believe that that's about Paul before he became a Christian, they've never really struggled with their sin. 
Because I believe, I know that this is Paul writing this as a Christian. There is good that I want to do, but I keep on sinning. That isn't left behind. That is a part of our walk, our journey, our battle. It's called a walk. It's not called a jump and we're done. It's called a walk. It's called a journey. We are called to walk with God. And we cannot take that first step in our own strength. See, I was taking, we can take the things that we do to draw close to God and turning them into our own salvation. I was taking, hey God, I read my Bible five days out of the last 24, so I'm better than last year. I was taking the dates with God and turning them into my God. I was taking that relationship building activity and making it the relationship. I was taking my interaction with the one who saves me as my salvation. And so God wouldn't let me go there. I need to walk there, but first we have to stop and we have to see that our salvation is in Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I encourage you, if you are in the same place that I was in, that I am still in some ways in, I was wrestling in the car. Not even on the way here, I went back out into the car and wrestled some more after we did our prep sermon. I have been wrestling with this because I need God's truth to drop from my head to my heart, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no shame on us anymore, ever again, any of the sin we did in the past, any of the sin that we will inevitably do. We can't tackle any of it until we come before Jesus and see the totality, the completeness of our salvation in Him alone. Now, that's not where it ends. That's not the completion of the journey because you have to take that salvation and you have to do something with it. God calls us out, forwards, onwards. This is just an incredibly important pause on the journey. Paul himself goes on to speak about having your mind set on the Spirit. He goes on to speak about walking with God and not being governed by the flesh. So don't get me wrong. There are practical things. There are seven steps in some ways. There are ways for us to walk with God and walk free from sin. But we got to approach those ways in the right mindset. We have to come to our battle with sin, understanding that it is one in the first place. And we have to come knowing there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to pray really quick to wrap up my section and then Josh is going to jump up and run with us forward from here. Father God, thank you for your ridiculous grace and your incredible mercy to speak and to get a message out when I thought one would never come. God, I pray that you open to our hearts our freedom in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Give it up for Josh. Thanks, Alistair. That was great. And thank you also for reminding me of my uselessness at the start there. Um, Maybe a little bit true. God uses the foolish to confound the wise. So, hey, that's my prayer this morning, that he take my uselessness and foolishness and confound you wise people out in the audience there. (laughs) Hey, it's a great truth. You and I are free from the bondage of sin. And there's a few things we're free from that the Bible lists. Fear, in addition to sin. Death, in addition to these things. Bondage. Freedom is pretty awesome. This is a basis of the good news that we believe in as Christians. But here is where I'm going to throw a spanner in the works. And everything that Alistair said was true, but I'm going to contradict him. And how, how is this going to work? Well, I'll tell you, my hope by the end of this message is that we will all become slaves. 
from freedom back to slavery. Hold on a second. (laughs) But the key here is what we are enslaved to. Paul says in Romans 6, Alistair didn't cover this, but he says, we have been freed from slavery to sin so that we might become slaves to righteousness. Now, I don't know if you've heard of a guy called Martin Luther. He was a guy responsible for rediscovering what the church had sort of forgotten and lost about grace and the proper place for works a few hundred years ago. And he had to say this, a Christian is the most free Lord of all and is subject to absolutely no one. My emphasis there. And then he goes and says this in the very next sentence, a Christian is the most dutiful servant of all and is subject to absolutely everyone. (laughs) How do we reconcile these two things? So let's turn to Galatians and see, this is again by Paul, the same guy, and see what he has to say in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 5. You have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use this freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use this freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Use your freedom to serve one another in love. Here is the purpose of freedom. Here is the point of freedom. We're saved from something, but we're also saved to something. Freed from something, freed for a purpose. But how do we deal with this tension? How do we reconcile this freedom when Paul says, I want you to be a slave? And then we go on in Galatians verse 19 to 21 to read a list of things to steer clear from. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. And then he says this weird thing. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone that lives in this sort of lifestyle is not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to forgive you if you've come out confused, because it is confusing. So Paul's saying here, after he's talked about grace in Romans, he's saying, to inherit this kingdom of God, I need to avoid a whole bunch of things, or else I'm not going to get in. It sounds like conditions in order to get close to God. It really does. But elsewhere in Acts, and this I want to use as the key that everything's going to hinge from, to sum up a lot of what Ali's been saying. This is from Acts 13, 39. It's not on the screen, but it's this. By Jesus, everyone who believes is set free from all those sins, from all the sins from which you could not be freed by the law. The kind of laws we're talking about today aren't the laws of Moses. We're not Jewish. Maybe some of you might be. But the laws that we come across are laws like, don't do these things. Like, don't be impure. Don't be sexually immoral. They're the kinds of laws that do not save anyone. And what saves? By this Jesus, everyone who believes 
is set free from those sins. Now, you might have heard of the idea of grace and truth. Perhaps grace in one hand, truth in one hand. It's like you've been slapped with grace, so now I'm going to slap you with the truth. And the truth generally tends to hurt a bit more. Perhaps, <laughs> perhaps just you've heard of it as two sides of a coin, that grace and truth always come on the same coin, but are two different faces. But I want to take a different spin on that today. And I want to use this as the way to unravel this confusion. How this works is because grace makes truth possible. Grace makes truth possible. So without grace, truth is going to devolve, is going to crumble down, and it's going to become law. And law's not good to anyone. Law doesn't save. We've read that. Law isn't going to change my behavior and produce good works. It's only going to actually increase in me sin. It says in Romans that... When I know what sin is, my sinful flesh rebels against that and produces more and more and more sin. And so when I add laws like be sexually pure, be moral, all these things, these kinds of laws will just increase in me the natural tendency of my flesh to rebel against them. And so what grace does is it makes these truths applicable to our lives. It allows them to permeate into our lives and it actually makes them what is actually truth. I hope that makes sense. So let's come back to what we said before, that a Christian is the most free Lord of all and subject to none, but is also the most dutiful servant and subject to everyone. To, as Paul says, use your freedom to serve one another in love. When we put our freedom to good use, the fruit of that is pretty evident. If we jump to Galatians 22, a very well-known passage. But in contrast to the flesh, this says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. It produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And look, there is no law against these things. When we put our freedom to good use, as I said, these will be the evidences. This will be the evidence. I want, to, I want you to notice that this doesn't say that they're the fruits of Josh or the fruits of Alastair. They're called the fruits of the Holy Spirit, precisely because the Spirit is who produces these fruit. Rather than a, thing, rather than a list of things that you need to produce, like a list before that says things you've got to avoid, this is not what it is. It's not saying every day, try your hardest to be as loving as you can. Try and be as joyful as you can. Um, that's not always easy. We're going to sin because that is a law. But these are the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And we just have to cooperate with what he's doing already. I want to share with you my own list of fruits of the flesh. And just focus on the fruit of the Spirit, one of them, the fruit of love. So I'm going to say the fruits of the flesh are things like striving, guilt-motivated behavior, self-justification. And so in contrast, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of grace-activated truth is other-centered love. 
If you offer somebody something with the hope that they're going to return the favour, so like, now this has never happened for me or my wife, but if you ever offer your spouse, for instance, a back rub, but only in order so that they might give you one back... (laughs) And, I, and again, I'm not guilty of this. Not, not at all. <laughs> Who's being served? Who is being served? Who is that behaviour for? Well, it's actually self-motivated love. A back rub is a small example. What about bigger things in our relationships? What if things in our lives are motivated by self-interested behaviour? And without grace... We have a reason to go for this because we're striving to earn God's affection, God's approval. We're striving to earn each other's approval and affection. And we can get so busy justifying our behaviours as okay because of X, Y, Z reason. And we feel guilty, especially in church at times when we shouldn't. We feel guilty that there isn't enough fruit of the Spirit in our lives, that we don't avoid this list of things enough. And as much as we try hard to be patient, people just really get on your nerves. But these things aren't grace-activated works of love. And here is the kicker. Without being set free, we're enslaved to dead works. We're enslaved to serving ourselves. If we're not set free by the truth that has been proclaimed from this place this morning, we're enslaved to dead works. If you try and avoid the list of things that Paul suggested you avoid, and if you try to produce the fruits of Josh or Alistair or put your name in, then you're enslaved to a dead work. There's no life in that. Because who brings that life? It's the Spirit bringing the life of Christ to bear in us. the alternative to this is to use the freedom that we have to do truly good works, to be enslaved to one another, in service to one another, motivated by an interest to love them, not to receive love back. Because the truth is that God likes us. He loves us, in fact. We don't need to be slaves to meeting other people's needs. I'll say that again. We don't need to be slaves in order to have our own needs met because our needs are met in God. This is where we're set free. Grace, faith, the great news of freedom in Jesus Christ. These things set us free from dead works, from the law so that we can live the best possible way of life in service to one another. The best possible way of life is to serve each other, to love for the sake of other. And this is how God intended it to be most excellent to live. This is the excellent course of action. Like me, you might be thinking, gosh, it's nice when people serve my interests. It's nice when I'm at the centre of the attention. I I like doing that a lot. You know, my whole sermon of encouraging you to love one another could be for the selfish ambition of you loving me. And that would be a perfect example of what I'm preaching about this morning. 
I would be serving myself by doing that, not emptying myself out in service of the church. And I pray God, sanctify my sinful nature and bring service this morning. Now I'm going to upright the cart one more time. I said there was a a couple of spanners. And I'm going to contradict everything that we've been saying once more, even though it's all true. You know there's a prerequisite to receive God's grace? Mic drop. (laughs) I've written here a collective gasp followed by a hushed silence. That was my sort of expectation. And someone to yell, who let this guy preach? Who let this guy on stage? But it's a very simple prerequisite, and it's true. Without sin, there'd be no need for grace. The prerequisite for grace is actually sin. Now, by no means shall we take this to mean that we should sin more so that grace may increase. Paul says, nah. Alistair brought that to us. No, don't. That's, that's not good news. But at the same time, without acknowledging our sin, there's no room for God's grace to enter in. The good news of Jesus Christ is that there waits for us just oceans deep of grace. Paul runs out of words trying to describe the love of God, and it's waiting But there's a gate that we need to open. We need to actually confront who we are. We need to confront the fact that we are sinful. And once we do that, once we acknowledge our sin, these gates open and the flood rushes in. You'll be filled with the grace of God. So there's one more thing that we're set free to. In addition to being set free to serve each other, to be slaves for each other's sake, We are set free to acknowledge the truth about ourselves, to have an honest look. And here we will find that God loves us enough to take the wrath upon himself. And grace-filled will activate truth so that we can live in the way that God has intended. Not enslaved to getting people to love us, but enslaved to loving other people for their sake. So if you've come away this morning feeling like there are things that you need to do, then I've failed. And I pray that's not true. But I actually trust that the Spirit is speaking love and grace this morning. No good is going to come of me saying, you should love your neighbor, because that is a law and it will set no one free. What sets people free is Jesus Christ. And then the grace that he has on us activates truth. It makes truth Gives it, it gives truth its substance. It makes truth real. It makes good works good where else they would be dead. Only grace will set us free to love our neighbor. So take this home today. Grace makes truth a possibility. We can't start with works that we need to do in order to receive grace. We've got the order so wrong. The only possible order is grace and then truth. Because of this incredible truth, we are set free in order to love our neighbor. Not only to just love them, but to become servants to them for their interests, not our own. And I pray that you will find freedom from what Alistair and I have spoken about this morning. To express your sin, to acknowledge your sin, to God and even to people whom you trust. 
for the simple reason that in doing so, you will experience the grace of the Father who has no condemnation in mind for you, only grace. So I just want to leave just a little while of space for you to reflect, and then I'm going to pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Thank you that you have set us free, free from bondage, free from fear, free from sin, free from death. Thank you for the reality of this good news. Make it applicable to our lives. Lord, only your spirit can make this truth known deep in our heart. So I pray, Lord, this morning that you would take these words that we have spoken and that you would turn them into truth in our lives and that your grace would enable us to live in the most excellent way that you have called us to live. Thank you that your grace stands at the gates ready to, to flood in. Give us courage to acknowledge our sin, Lord God. And in the face of that sin, where we might feel shame, instead let us receive the joy of our salvation in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. 